Hello, and welcome to Theatre Project, a podcast where we hear from thinkers and doers in a variety of fields to find out how progressives can up their game. I'm your host, Meron Kalili, and my guest today is the activist Radomir Lazovich, also known as Mika. He's one of the founders of Don't Let Belgrade Drown, a political movement that, if you'll excuse the pun, is making big waves in Serbia. The movement started off as a grassroots group focused on reclaiming public space, specifically around a massive development project to turn a piece of Belgrade into Dubai. Since then, Don't Let Belgrade Drown has become a prominent force against the increasingly authoritarian and some would say corrupt regime of the Serbian president, Aleksandar Vucic. This conversation was first broadcast as a live video interview on December 7th, 2020, as part of News from the Frontline, a show I'm hosting at DMTV, which is the platform of the progressive movement DM25. I hope you'll forgive me for the sound quality of this interview. As mentioned, it was recorded live and we had some microphone issues, but I think it's still okay once you get into it. With Mika, we discussed movement building, how we can protest in COVID times, making the jump from being a grassroots movement to a political party competing in elections, and of course, those creative tactics that don't let Belgrade drown have become known for. I found it fascinating talking to Mika. He's warm, he's funny, and he's very open about all the failures and lessons learned on his journey to becoming a significant political actor in his country. If you want to get in touch, the email address is hello at theatreproject.co and the show notes are available at www.theatreproject.co. Okay, let's get to it. I am one of the people that uh, started this movement, Nedaimo Beograd, in the 2015, 16, 14. We were, in general, the group of people really concerned about the development of the city of Belgrade, but also about the idea how to uh, have sort of a different kind of city, the, the place where you can really live in, in which can be considered your own home but not uh, the playground for the capitalistic uh, destruction, privatization, and uh, everything that happened uh, in the last uh, few decades. We were mainly involved in the cultural projects, in uh, taking over the abandoned buildings, creating community centers or galleries out of the place that is uh, unused or uh, left to deteriorate. So when the creation of the Belgrade waterfront, a uh, huge, maniacally huge project in the city of Belgrade, when it started, we were ready to confront it. And it was really a big, uh, big, big struggle uh, uh, until today. You say you, you, you started the initiative around 2014. What was the scene a little bit in, in Serbia at that moment? I mean, in, in terms of the political landscape, in terms of the media, in terms of the tradition for grassroots activism, what was the challenge that you were responding to when you decided, look, we can't deal with this anymore. We need to start something. Let's start from the 2012 and uh, when the uh, regime of Alexander Vucic won the elections and they got a landslide in that and the other ones. And they basically created this idea that their flagship project in Belgrade should be a Belgrade waterfront project. Belgrade has its uh, huge part that is most valuable land that has been left to undeveloped for decades. And every architecture student and professor was doing uh, like uh, different kind of ideas. What should be there? Should it be a huge park? Should it be a public uh, object? 
what should it be there? And it's like really huge part in the center of Belgrade, on Sava River. But when these guys got into the power, they created this really clever scheme how to take this part of the land out of the Serbian laws to become sort of the extraterrestrial place in which they can do whatever they want. It's a half of the river bank in Belgrade that's been taken away from the city and from the citizens. So the idea is to create there two million square meters of different commercial and uh, other spaces in which they will create a new city only for the rich or only for the people that are close to them. We saw what it will be. It is a closed city. It's a fraud. They are using public money to create a private project. And when we start, uh, we started a protest about it. And in the beginning, these protests were not so big. They had thousand or two thousand people, but they did a small error in that moment. So imagine this. We are going fast forward to 2016. In the night of the elections, when they won the, the elections, the mayor of the town said to the crew to completely destroy one street because they couldn't wait for it to be uh, le legally evicted. And a group of around 30 to 40 masked people with balaclavas and with uh, uh, bats and everything showed up with also with huge trucks and also with uh, construction equipment and everything destroyed the half of the street. And uh, that really pissed most of the people out and the big protest started. And that are the protests that uh, put us in the spotlight. We had, I don't know, 10,000 people on the street, 20,000 people, then five again. But it ran for a, more, more than a year. It, it was, I don't know how many protests. And it really gave us an opportunity to tell the people not only that destruction is bad, but how the city can be different. You're protesting the Belgrade Waterfront Project, which yes. is a promise to bring a little piece of Dubai to Belgrade, mm -hmm. with I think the biggest shopping mall in the Balkans and various luxury hotels. Uh, they had to change the law in order to um, to be able to start building. You said that you organized some protests and there was only a thousand people, only two thousand people. How do you do that? How, I mean, what was what was that based on? Was that purely just social media? Is, is that how you got all those people out there? And what kind of message did you target people with in order to bring them to the streets to start that ball rolling against the waterfront project? So imagine this, not the road, not the infrastructure, not sewage, nothing, but you invest into the commercially, privately owned project. It's a terrible thing. And we got with this into the media and we did prosecution and we got to judges, to everybody, but nothing. It was unbelievably how, how nobody said anything about it. And then that was the moment that we saw that uh, we need something to change the discourse. We need something to get into the mainstream. We showed up in uh, one of the public hearings uh, having this uh, beach equipment because we, we are called Les Andrand Belgrade. So, you know, it's sort of uh, media mm, interest in us. And they started, oh, look at these crazy people. They are uh, protesting the best project in the world with this stupid equipment. But some of them would say, okay, this is something good. So we, we build it a little bit. And during this period that I'm telling you, 1,000 or 2,000 people in the streets, we were building the story and we were building the trust of the people. And uh, when we saw that nobody is listening to us in the legislative or, or in the institutions, 
Then we started to mock them. And this mocking created a feeling of power in the people. Because if the people in the institution will not listen to you and they will say, this is bullshit, we don't care, then the, the laughter and comic scenes and uh, creating out of this this really strong uh, feeling that the system is completely corrupt is making people that are in the movement powerful. And that's what we did. The idea of mocking, that was what put you on the map in terms of um, public opinion. But am I not right in saying that the media in Serbia is overwhelmingly pro-Vucic? So what was their reaction? I mean, how, how was that covered? So you would have at least three groups in media. One would be the ones that are professional and uh, responsible to the readers or viewers. They, this is the smallest group and they are under heavy attack all the time. It's really terrible what these people are uh, are going through. The second group is the ones that are mainstream media with a lot of influence, but uh, they would never say anything. They would ignore any problem there is in the country because they are completely controlled by economic means and threats from the government. So they will not, never publish anything about Nedaim Beograd or any other movement. The third group are really the mechanisms of destroying people's lives that are not by will of the of the regime. So this third part is, uh, is really big, like three televisions and uh, four or five daily newspapers. And then when this protest started, for in the first 100 days, we were at least 40 times on the cover page of the at least two or even three different papers. And they would round up my head and they would say, look at this fat guy, he got really huge amount of money for hating Serbia, or uh, they got um, involved in a, I don't know, geopolitical struggle that wants to kill Vucic. You can imagine that this is not uh, far from then being attacked on the street because you want to kill the president or you want to destroy Serbia or stuff like that. I believe they also went through your Facebook feed, the media, and took photos and published them. You've also had your offices broken into a couple of times. How do you deal with that personally? And have you ever received any more direct threats to your person in, in doing this kind of work? Um, sometimes I deal without any fear. I don't, I don't look back on it at all. Sometimes they get to you. But the worst thing is that it became normal for me. And I feel that's the worst thing that can happen because then uh, it normalizes the situation in which you are attacked for the something that you're, you're not doing anything bad. On contrary, for me, most patriotic thing is to know why the money for the hospitals is going to the private pockets. But if you want to know how it works, I mean, it works like uh, you would do a protest, for example, and then MPs from the government would say that you are a traitor. And then the newspapers would take the, the statement and then create a whole world around it. And then on the social media, on the street and so on, you would have these right-wing activists taking this, mutating it in sort of most uh, horrible ways. And then in the end, you end up with an inbox full of uh, hideous stuff. But I think that these kind of threats are really directly connected to the government. I would like to jump back a little bit to the protests about the waterfront project, because you said, I mean, there's a year of protests. Don't Let Belgrade Drown was basically running these street protests, the largest amount of people in the streets since the, the fall of Milosevic. What happened then? Did that have any impact? Where did you take it after that? People uh, in the beginning were really thinking, oh, yeah, maybe this can be a good project for Serbia. Why not? Why shouldn't be there, there be a really wealthy sheikh that will come in Serbia and give us all the bright future that we know that we deserve? 
But after the destruction of half of the street and the uh, spotlight that we had, I think that nobody can say that anymore. Everybody knows it's a corrupt business. I feel that this is the first time that the government of uh, Progressive Party, which they call themselves, imagine calling themselves Progressive, has been demasked. So this protest helped us understand that we are dealing with the criminals. I think that's the biggest uh, heritage of the protests. But the other heritage is that we created a movement in which we can uh, develop more. And I really think that's the important part to get people together and change the government completely in Belgrade and in Serbia. So after this, there were the local elections of 2018, which you ran in. Tell me a little bit about that decision to engage in the political process. You've gone from a grassroots group that has managed to create a, a buzz on the ground through Facebook to more and more and more, and then a watershed moment with the, the destruction of that street that you were talking about. And now you're joining the political process. How was that decision made? How was that received internally by your comrades in the group? Well, being such a heterogenic group and everything, we were really thinking that a lot of people will say, okay, no, we want to stay grassroots movement. We don't want to get into the political struggle. But uh, I, I really think that the most important thing that uh, changed people's mind was that they saw that after all this struggle, like 15 protests with tens of thousands of people on the street, prosecutions, attacks on us, uh, they didn't change anything. And people said, okay, we need to change the government if we, if we are to have any uh, any success and there are no better people than us. And we had these talks with, uh, with everybody and I think that maybe two or three persons said, I will not be part of the political movement, but even them participated in the campaign and it was a really nice, really great moment in the energy-wise when the campaign went pretty great with no previous experience. We, we got into this and it was really packed up with the attacks on us on every corner. And I feel that uh, they invested at least five times more in the campaign against us than, than that we invested in the campaign. We didn't manage to get into the city parliament because of the rules of elections, but we got a lot of votes, we got a lot of uh, support, a lot of trust, and this uh, gave us a confidence to continue after these elections to create the real movement. I would say that in the moment we got into these elections, we were more the, a group of people that are doing something together. And after we finished this, there was this idea, we want to be like transparent, democratic, solidar, green leftist movement that will take this government down. Somebody watching this might be thinking, well, they organize protests, it's a grassroots group, and then they engage in the political process, they found a party. How do you do that without funding, as you say, without experience? How do you go from being a group of friends who have organized things to a political party going out there campaigning against people like Vucic? A lot of mistakes, a lot of tryouts, a lot of uh, different approaches. But uh, in this analysis of the project, in the in the time when we were doing this uh, activist grassroots uh, thing that we wanted to get people aware about the fraud that is happening in Belgrade, we uh, got a lot of people together and they developed a huge trust and a really great uh, relations in between us. This is completely not enough and uh, it's something completely different than the political organization, but it was the foundation on which the, the movement was started. And also we had a lot of experience into this uh, activist and uh, NGO organizations. For example, I said that we were founding uh, community centers in, and uh, 
or cultural centers or, or galleries and, and stuff like that, which involved dealing with a lot of people and doing it from do-it-yourself from scratch with a really small amount of resources. And that's exactly what we did here. Uh, we use some of the resources that we personally had, some of the resources that our organizations, being NGO or uh, activist organizations had. I mean, it was really nice atmosphere in which uh, um, whoever had something contributed with it. And I mean, sort of a small, I don't know if, if, if I dare to say, but sort of a small communism. And it was a really nice moment. Of course, this was completely not enough because... Uh, for example, we never got into some of the parts of Belgrade. We never presented ourselves to these people. We were never in the outskirts. We didn't do enough on the field. I mean, we did protests and then we, we thought that that's enough. Everybody knows about it, but it's not enough. It's You have to work from the neighborhoods. You have to work from the really small levels. You need to get into the people's houses. You need to involve people in the smallest level of problems in order to get their trust and to get them to support you. And the most important thing is not even supporting or so, it is participating. Uh, because there was 30 of us, and it's not a small number, but if you are going to question something that is really strong as the as the as our regime is, they have the means of everything. They have the police, they have the media, they have vast resources and money. They are stealing every day more and more. If you are to confront them, you cannot do it with 30 people. You need to be a movement of several thousands. And that's what we learned, and that's what we are doing now. And we are changing this idea that, that a small number of people can do it. And I'm really proud to say that we doubled our membership from February. We are on a really, really good road of changing the government. And you're considering uh, running for the local elections in 2022, right? So you can uh, some of these lessons learned you'll be able to put um, into practice. I'd like to ask you a little bit more about the protest tactics. The Waterfront Project was your focal point, what brought you to the next level. But today, you're a progressive movement fighting on many fronts, um, from environmental concerns, corruption, transparency, the whole thing. Tell me a little bit more about some of the other actions that you've done. I, I mean, I believe, for example, you were um, protesting the privatization of uh, abandoned cinemas in, in quite an innovative way. And you also had a hot banging protest to, to uh, protest the COVID curfew uh, earlier this year. I mean, tell me a little bit about those and where you get your ideas from and, and how they resonated with people in Serbia. The biggest challenge is to get the people involved. So I will use this uh, cinemas thing as a sort of an example. Uh, Serbia was completely ripped off by the privatizations before this government. The last government uh, privatized everything. So some of the companies survived and are running these days, but most of them are actually really a ripoff of the Serbian citizens and uh, and people that were working there. So one of these companies was the 17 cinemas in, in, in Belgrade, sorry, 14. And the idea is that uh, behind this was this really powerful guy that bought them out for a really small amount of money and uh, closed them down, wanting to create the betting shops and uh, casinos out of them because they all were in a really nice spots all over the city. Media were completely closed for, for this and nobody wanted to listen to this sad story about the workers. It was a sort of uh, stalemate in which uh, these companies were dying out and the workers were not present at all in the, in the media or everywhere. It was really hard for them and also for us. So we were doing these tactics of really pretending to be really naive. What we did was we got into the cinema, which is closed. We played a movie 
even when the police comes and tries to arrest us or something like I mean, we of course know we're just pre pretending to be naive in these moments in sort of to create this really atmosphere in which everybody can see that there's something wrong with this. It's wrong to privatize cinemas that were invested by the workers and citizens and to sell it off like that to become the casinos. And people then started to think, okay, what happened with cinemas? Why are they closed? Why are they not working? Why is the uh, uh, minister's godfather buying off cinemas for such small money and selling it to become a casinos? And with this, we created a scene in which you can say, this is the problem. I cannot tell you that enough. The challenge is to get the people from their daily routine and to have them participate in something that is a big social problem. They know it's a social problem. They feel it on themselves. But everything in this really weird moment in life and in, in capitalism that we have, everything tells them that there's nothing can be done. But a lot can get done if, you are, if we are working together. And I really think in, in this creative ways of taking people's attention and putting them together in sort of a specific environment as for the cinemas, people then, of course, started to think about are the privatizations okay? Where are the workers now? Where, where are the people that were playing the, the cinemas and so on? And we created a scene in which we can say all these messages. I really like that. I mean, as a creative, peaceful protest tactic, but actually at the site of the issue that you're protesting, showing people that it can be done, breaking into an abandoned cinema and actually screening something there is fresh and, and innovative. You mentioned, for example, this February, you doubled your membership. I'm trying to understand if there were any tactics or specific things that you would point to and say, it was because of that, that we grew our support considerably. You wouldn't believe what's my answer to this. Just ask. You need to ask people. If you don't ask them, they will not come. You need to ask them all the time. You need to tell them, we are doing this. But with you, we are going to be more stronger. I mean, it's really simple as that. Even as a supporter, even as a person that watches, you need to be there because that's how people understand they, that there is this movement that is happening in the industry. And you need to ask them to participate in what you are doing. And if you are doing it right and you are creating this uh, transparent, democratic framework. It doesn't have to be perfect at all. But the important thing is that you don't lie to them, uh, that you tell them how it is, and that you want them to participate. A big mistake that we made during the elections 2018. We called people to support us. And all of a sudden, we, we got around 1,500 people sh uh, wanting to, to participate in the campaign. That was unbelievable for us in the moment. But these people felt a need to support and then we did nothing with them. They are disappointed. Maybe they forgave us, maybe not. But if you're calling people, you need to provide them how to support you, where to support you and how to participate. Our crucial message is get involved. And then we use any opportunity. For example, today we published uh, Dobritza, my colleague's uh, interview that is really good. And then you would always finish with, yes, this is how things are, but we can change these things if you participate. When we do our assembly or when we do meetings or whatever we do, we are trying to give this message to the people. So I would say more important thing is not to, to develop really great way to get this to people. It, the more important than that is to do it over and over again, to always present how people can participate. I see what you're getting at in terms of the message, but with regard to the distribution, is it mainly online that you're mobilizing people, that you're speaking to your supporters and, and, and getting the word out, or are there other ways that you're doing that? 
the first moment was, of course, the protests. You have people there, then you can speak to them. The other thing is we had a, really a lot of different discussions, panels, uh, and all sorts of physical events that are now not so possible during Corona. We did a lot of events that were showing our messaging, but were also uh, intended to get people to get involved. We are now in process of buying uh, a sort of a van and uh, we are going to pull all the equipment in it. And then it, sh it should be a small stage for, I don't know how many, 20 people, because there is no places that you can do an event in, in Serbia that are uninterrupted by the government's uh, tags or something like that. We had many, many events during the last campaign uh, banned or attacked, so we couldn't do anything. But you need to think how to work with that. So we are buying this uh, campaign van and we are going to go to different uh, municipalities that we don't have enough people in this moment because we want to create small cells also around Belgrade. The idea is to hack this situation in which we cannot use the public spaces because the ruling party will not allow us. So we go there with the speakers, with the chairs and everything. And if there's a five people, we are fine with that. We're going to see other five people in, in the next place and they are going to be interested because there are problems in Serbia and in Belgrade in any corner. So that's the idea in this moment. If somebody's watching this wondering, how can I get out there and address all these injustices that I'm seeing, given that I'm locked down, what would you advise them? I mean, uh, one tactic you've just described is uh, get a van and, and have like a mobile event, which I think is, is brilliant. I've seen car protests in the US. The M25 had a protest a couple of weeks ago in Luxembourg, which I thought was quite cute. You're not allowed, of course, to gather many people there. And they were protesting outside Amazon. And they uh, asked their comrades for, to send in selfies. And they had a protest where they were printing the pictures and standing outside Amazon with all these printed pictures connected together by string. So the image that you got was almost a crowd of people, but some were there in person and some were just there as a printed image. Are there any other um, thoughts on how people could protest and engage in these crazy times of lockdowns and restrictions? We had this really huge protest in times of the curfew. And it was really good because uh, we called people to show up on their windows and their terraces and to bang the pots or put music or do whatever they want because they cannot get out because they feel uh, injustice and they are really unsatisfied, but show your unsatisfaction on the window. We were working on a big number of people in, the, in more than 20 different towns in Serbia, uh, preparing the action. And this was really great. People really wanted confirmation that they are not alone in this fear, that they are not alone in unsatisfaction, and they are not alone in hope that something can change. And uh, this thing from the windows created this sort of a hope. And it was really massive. I mean, there were thousands of people participating. It stopped with the putting uh, curfew down. And uh, for me, it's one of the most important things that we didn't keep quiet in a really bad moment. There is always a way that you can protest, that you can say that you are not satisfied and that you want to change things. And that's why my advice to everybody is, Today, if you can glue one sticker on the wall, glue the sticker on the wall. Tomorrow, call your friend to glue two stickers. The other day, you're going to laugh how stupid you are because with the stickers, you cannot change anything. But maybe you will create sort of small installation in the public sphere if you are artistically sensitive, or maybe you will go and, and create a panel with someone that you trust in. Just start doing stuff and support your local groups. That is really important. Try to see who is doing something around you. We cannot do anything alone. 
So just from not doing anything or writing comments on Facebook to actually doing something, even if it is a sticker that you designed and created, there's infinite space. And once you cross that infinite space, you're going to feel nice, maybe stupid, maybe nice, but you're going to feel something, you're going to feel alive. And from that point, anything is possible. And I think when you get hooked on this, that the change is possible, you will not let it down easily. I love that. That's wonderful. It's one of the things I was going to ask you is sort of how to combat apathy. Um, and there is such a gulf between pointing at the problem on social media and complaining and actually being part of solving the problem, even if it's just in a tiny way, as you say, putting a sticker on your window or something. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, that's very valuable. Something I, I would like to ask you, if there were one or two books that you might recommend in, in relation to the kind of topics that we're discussing, I'm going to tell you a small anecdote. <laughs> In a group, we had this small idea to, you know, develop ourselves more. Let's read something and then create a sort of a small readers club. And we decided to read um, Right to the City of David Harvey. Some of us read it, some didn't. And uh, half of us read the wrong texts of Henry Lefebvre, which is also called The Right to the City. And half of us read the David Harvey book and then we started to talk and then people were like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's similar, but it's not the same. So I don't know. Just I would consider not to think of yourself uh, too serious. I mean, you can always joke on your own account and uh, just do stuff and feel good about doing them because you are no doubtably on the bright side of the history and uh, the dark side tends to present themselves are unbeatable, really strong, uh, monolith-wise, but there is no way that solidarity, love, self-improvement is not stronger than hate and uh, everything that we can see around us these days. Mika, thank you very much for that. That was fantastic. Uh, all my support to you and your struggle. I'm sure we haven't heard the last of Mika and Don't Let Belgrade Drown. You've been listening to Theta Project, and I was talking to Radomir Lazovich. If you'd like to get in touch, the email address is hello at theatreproject.co, and the show notes are at www.theatreproject.co. See you next time.